Hey guys, this is Jesse Camacho. I play Doug on Netflix's Lock and Key, and I'm sitting here talking to Elias on the Man Cave Chronicles. Welcome to another episode of the Man Cave Chronicles. Welcome to the party, pal. You're my boy, Blue. You A podcast with interviews of amazing guests from the world of pop culture. Oh yeah. TV. Nice. Movies. Oh, I love the movies. Comedy and more from deep inside the man cave. Your host, Elias. Jesse, welcome to the cave. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This is going to be fun. How are you, man? What's new with you? Well, you know, I'm good. Obviously, I uh, had a nice uh, little Mother's Day celebration here with a Zoom sesh with the fam. And uh, other than that, just kind of laying low and uh, going for walks and reading and trying to stay creative during this kind of crazy time. Yeah, how you been, how you been dealing with that? You know, it's it's been all right. I'm, I'm a bit of an anxious person by nature, so it was a little tricky at first. But I feel like, uh, you know, as, uh, as humans, we sort of adapt. So right, I guess right. I've... Uh, kind of done that it just feels like the new normal now uh having said that i'm excited for it all to kind of pass but uh i'm doing all right i'm doing all right i I hope we're almost there man me too jeez (laughs) so man you've been busy uh last few years with acting and recently you started on netflix's lock and key we'll talk about that but for the listeners uh let's get to know a little bit more about you where are you originally from uh i was born in uh, montreal canada I grew up there and uh, basically lived there until the age of, God, maybe like uh, 20 or so. And uh, then I moved uh, to Toronto, Canada, where I've been uh, the last, uh, you know, seven or eight years now. Oh, wow. Uh, Yeah. How was it growing up in Montreal? Oh, it was amazing. I love Montreal. It's always going to be my uh, personal favorite city. I mean, there's definitely a bias there, but... uh, I just really love, there's a really kind of unique flavor about that city. There's a nice culture, almost a European uh, yeah. flavor. And, uh, you know, uh, the, the, by the time I was born, the kind of language war in Montreal had sort of really uh, died down. I mean, there's always going to be a bit of that there. But, uh, you know, when I grew up, you know, English speakers and French speakers had kind of uh, put down their guns and everyone sort of got along. So uh, that was, uh, yeah, that was great, man. Montreal is a, a wonderful city. If people haven't been there, I recommend they come visit when this is uh, when this is all over. How old were you? Did you say when you were when you moved to Toronto? Uh, when I moved to Toronto, I was about uh, twenty. So that was yeah, seven eight years ago. Oh, wow. I guess coming around this summer, it'll be nine years ago, which is crazy to think about. So growing up in Montreal, did you have, like have any idea you wanted to get into the acting world? Yeah, so I kind of came out of the womb wanting to do it. Both my parents are, uh, funnily <laughs> enough, are actually actors, so I'm. Uh, I'm a bit of a, a of a unique case in that way. So ever since the age of five, I was like, I really want to do this. It's you know, it, it's what I want to do. And my parents were kind of like, Are you sure? There's a lot of rejection. There's, you know, it's very feast or famine. Uh, you know, it, it, when you're working, it's the greatest job in the world. But you know, for most actors, a lot of the time you're not working. Right. But uh, I, I insisted, and when I was about eight years old, they were like, All right, let's uh, let's give this a shot. You know, I've never looked back, and they've been really really supportive. So it's been it's been great. So at eight years old, did you start taking acting classes or did you just learn more from your parents? Uh, it was, you know, a bit of both. I uh, I, I definitely learned uh, most of the stuff that, that I, I carry with me from my parents. But I also did this uh, really fun uh, acting kind of it – I guess it was classes because I definitely learned a lot. But it was also just a place to kind of get together and be creative. It was this place – I swear to God, this is what it was called. It was called DTF, which at the time did not mean what it means now. <laughs> Uh, it stood for a dynamic theater factory and it was run by these two, uh, great women, uh, named, uh, Nick Matern and Claire Jacques, who, uh, 
you know, th- there was a lot of great people that went through there. Uh, Jay Barrishell went through there, who's obviously uh, doing super, super well now. And uh, Emily Van Camp, who I think a lot of people would know from the show Revenge, and she's in uh, a bunch of the Marvel movies. She went through there. So it's, uh, it's a really, really cool place. So you said you moved to Toronto about seven, eight years ago. Uh, what made you right. move there? So I had just come off of a show. I did a, a great show up here in Canada called The Less Than Kind, which actually shot in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Uh, and uh, once the show was done, I did it for four seasons. It was four seasons over five years. You know, I was just kind of talking to my agents and stuff, and I was like, you know, what's what's the move? Do I hang in Montreal? And especially at the time, as much as I love Montreal, Toronto was sort of the major hub in Canada for productions, Toronto and Vancouver, and then Montreal. So the discussion was, you know, Toronto, Vancouver, or Los Angeles. And just, you know, it just made more sense. Toronto, it was at the time a little cheaper for me. Uh, and it was a little closer to home in case, you know, there were there, you know, uh, in case anything happened, I could, I could get back home pretty quick. Um, so that was sort of, uh, what really drove that decision. And that way, you know, I figured I can go down to LA for pilot season and stay in Toronto the rest of the year. Mm-hmm. Do you, are you, do you have any thoughts about moving to LA someday? Oh, a hundred percent. Um, I think that uh, I always say uh, I want to pull a Jay Barrow show. I mentioned it before, but, uh, Jay is someone that I very much look up to because he went to LA, uh, sort of made a great name for himself down there and then moved back home to Montreal. I think he actually lives in Toronto now, but, uh, and so he kind of just goes back and forth whenever they need him. I think that I'd be more of a New York guy. Uh, but I do, I do enjoy LA and I, I definitely want to spend more time down there. I've been down there for months at a time before, uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I definitely could see myself, uh, in the near ish future spending a substantial amount of time down there. I've had a past guest that they actually moved to Vancouver. They rather fly from Vancouver to LA yeah. to, to do whatever they need to do. And they just fly back to Vancouver after that. Yeah. It's not a, I don't think it's like a two hour flight. It's a pretty, uh, it's a pretty quick trip. Um, yeah, I think that the, the issue with LA, I, I, I enjoy it down there is it's just so vast, you know, nothing is really close to each other, especially when you're an actor, like a lot of times you'll get an audition in like West Hollywood and then one half an hour later in Santa Monica and you're just telling your agent, like, you know, there's no way I can physically do this. <laughs> right. right. But, th- but they're cool down there. The casting agents down there kind of know the situation. So, but, uh, yeah, I guess I'm just more of a kind of a city guy and LA is a city obviously, but it's got a, a very, as I said, kind of a vast quality to it, where something like New York or Montreal or even Toronto uh, has, like, it's all kind of in one kind of hot spot. Mm. What would make you move to New York? What would be the main reason, you think? Obviously, uh, obviously, if I book something, but uh, I also just really love that city. And if I was in a financial place that I can get a decent spot there, I would just love to go there. I love theater. I love watching Broadway shows. I love like cities that you can walk to and from a lot of places. Yeah. Uh, and I just, I just, yeah, I just really kind of uh, love that life. Obviously, you know, with the state of the world right now, it's probably not the greatest place to be. But you know, I, I really do think that the world is going to rebound. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, besides a job, it's just like a place that I've always been sort of drawn to. It runs in the family. My sister's uh, even more than me a massive fan of New York. So I don't know. Maybe it's just in the blood. <laughs> there you go. So I mentioned earlier you recently starred on Netflix Lock and Key, man. How's it, how exciting has been this for you? I mean, uh, you know, it, it's such a cliche to say it, but it's just there is no other phrase. It, it's literally a dream come true. I'm a massive fan of uh, Stranger Things and Ozark, and I really enjoyed Outer Banks, which just came out on Netflix. So the idea that I'd get to be a part of 
one of those kind of binge worthy shows that I've spent countless hours indulging in is just like, it's crazy to me. And also not only that, uh, I'm a, I was a big, big fan of the television series lost when I was in high school. It was sort of my religion. And, uh, it, uh, Carlton Cuse, who was one of the two showrunners on lost is one of the showrunners on lock and key. So that alone was crazy to me. And, uh, the graphic novels are so amazing. Like it was there, there was, there was nothing negative about it. It was like my dream fulfilled in every sense of the word. Yeah. So it's funny, like you said, you mentioned the novels, you know, Lock and Key was a graphic novel. Did you read those even before you even got this? So I hadn't read them. I obviously knew what they were. Uh, I'd, I'd heard of them. Um, and I, uh, the funny thing about Lock and Key is it had kind of a, a rocky road to finally getting out there. There was a, I believe a Fox pilot many years ago that never went. And then there was a Hulu pilot that they shot a year before in Toronto uh, that never went either. There's a couple people that were in that Hulu pilot that are actually in this version as well. But uh, so by the time I I got the job, I said, well, I should read these things. And then I ordered them on Amazon and I read them all in one sitting because they're just it's ridiculous. Like talk about a page turner. I mean, everything about it is brilliant. Uh, So, no, I long, you know, long story short, I hadn't read them when I auditioned for it. But by the time I got to set, I, you know, ravaged through them. Funny story, like I had Kevin and Hillian, and they never mentioned that Lock and Key tried to be, go on Hulu and Fox, like you said. First of all, that's awesome. <laughs> I love uh, Kevin and Halia. Halia and I are actually like we've become like uh, the best of friends. I adore her. Um, but yeah, no, there there was a, yeah there was a Fox pilot that uh, that didn't go, and the Hulu pilot. Uh, I think Carlton was involved in that as well, and Jackson, who plays Bodie, uh, was also in that one, and. Uh, Funnily enough, the actor who plays uh, Sam Lesser in this version, uh, Thomas Ian Barnett, played uh, Rufus, I believe, in the Hulu pilot. So there's a couple familiar faces crossing over, but uh, I, I haven't seen that pilot. I'm, I'm, I imagine it's pretty different. So uh, tell us about your audition. When you first went in there, did you audition for Doug or was it for another role? So as I said, I auditioned for the Hulu one, and I had actually auditioned for the role of Rufus okay. in the Hulu one. and. God, thank God they went with Kobe Bird. He's just, he's so incredible and just way better than I would have been uh, in that role. So when I actually got the audition for Doug, I kind of looked at the breakdown. I went, oh my God, like, this is me. Uh, I'm not quite as sarcastic as Doug or as, as witty, but I was like, other than that, like, I totally relate to this. So I remember I went to the store and I bought uh, a small bag of goldfish crackers because the audition sides were basically all the Savini squad scenes in uh, episodes one and two where we watch the horror movie and then when we're making the splattering and uh, just by you know kind of the way the sides were broken down doug was always there they really wanted to see the reactions uh that the actors were doing to the other characters kind of arguing and talking i was like what can i do and just standing there it's boring i said you know what i'll do i'll grab i'll buy this bag of goldfish crackers so i kind of stood there for most of the audition just indulging myself and uh and eating some goldfish crackers and occasionally throwing in uh, some of the lines. And, yeah, I guess it worked. There was a great casting uh, director in the room, Millie Tom, who's always been super wonderful to me. And I wore my uh, Pennywise the Clown It shirt because, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, to show that I was a, a horror nerd. And, yeah, I was lucky enough that they that they liked what they saw. Uh, I'm, I'm still pinching myself over it. Right. How, so how would you describe Doug? Yeah, uh, I think that he, you know, he doesn't suffer fools easily. I think he's obviously someone who, like myself, uh, because he's a little overweight and uh, – well, a little overweight. I'm being nice to myself there. Because he's overweight and uh, and a bit of a, 
an outcast, uh, he kind of uses sarcasm and, and humor as a bit of a deflection. Uh, but I think he's a he's a really nice guy. And, you know, I, I think in a way he's probably the most pragmatic uh, of everyone in the squad. He's the one who sort of sees things like for how dangerous they are, like when they go to the caves. He's one of the few that's like, this is a really bad idea, you know. Um, so, yeah, I would say he's he's a he's a really good kid who I think has got a lot of insecurities that he deflects with kind of a a sarcasm and oddly enough a weird charm in a way. So uh, yeah, that's that's sort of how I would describe Doug. Mm. So you mentioned when you after you got the role and everything, like you know, you read the comics and everything. I never read the comics. Was your character based in the comics also? So uh, the Savini Squad as a group was not in the comics. So there was no there was no Doug and there was no Zadie. There was a Scott uh, Patrice uh, Patrice Jones's role, but Scott in the comics is is quite different. And there was another kid named uh, Jamal. And I think the Savini squad is sort of a um, a mix of, of those characters and taken in a slightly different direction. It's really a brainchild of uh, Meredith Avril and Carlton Cuse, the showrunners. Uh, so, you know, which I actually kind of liked because that means that there's not really a roadmap for those characters. Yeah. You know, they've got the freedom to they can have us, you know, uh, be a huge part of the show. They could kill us off. They could do kind of a bunch of things. Our future isn't exactly written yet. Not that. Uh, not that the writers are, you know, necessarily tied down to what's in the graphic novels, but especially with the Savini squad, there's there's this certain level of freedom. It's sort of like Daryl in The Walking Dead. Not that, you know, not that the Savini squad is uh, is as prominent as Daryl, but, uh, you know, you, you, there's a certain freedom that comes with it that actually really excited me. The only thing that's a bit of a bummer is that I'm such a fan of the graphic novels. And, of course, I'd love for Doug to have been a part of them because, you know, Joe Hill's so brilliant. But, uh, but you know, it's it's been really fun kind of tracking where they're going to end up so how would you how would you describe the savini squad yeah i think that they're you know i think a lot of young amateur filmmakers can relate to them they're a passionate group of horror nerds that idolize the great uh, tom savini who's kind of the the godfather of gore just kind of a trailblazer and uh you know they really want to follow in his footsteps and make kind of scary independent films the problem is they're not uh, they're not that talented uh, you know, they don't really know what they're doing. They kind of have some really good ideas and are, you know, very ambitious, but th- their talent hasn't quite caught up yet. So they're kind of the, you know, the hopeless romantics in terms of uh, making a quality, you know, kind of horror indie, but they're not going to give up. So yeah. I respect them for that. Yeah, they're kind of just these kids following their passion, even though they uh, even though they can't really uh, they can't really catch up to themselves yet. Mm. So now if, if Doug was a real person, like, would, would you be friends with him? I think so. I mean, uh, in a way, I really do think that I'm very similar to him. So he almost is a real person. Um, but yeah, I definitely he's someone that I think I have a lot in common with and that I can really, uh, really relate to. Yeah. Is there anything you would change about the character? Um, that's a good question. I, I don't think so. I, I mean, I obviously, you know, everyone wants to play the bravest guy in the room and the coolest guy in the room. And yeah. I, I, I'm not really sure that that's Doug. But that's I kind of like that about him because I really do think he's a bit of an underdog. So I mean, uh, it, I wouldn't want to change anything about him. Uh, I would just say, you know, as, as an actor, I always again want to play the cool action hero guy. But that's just not. Uh, I, I just don't think that's true to the character. Um, so no, I, I don't think I'd change anything about him. I, I think that he's great. I'd, I'd love to see him uh, keep throwing out those kind of witty one-liners and, and being part of the group. Mm. So I mentioned earlier, you know, when the show first premiered, man, it, went, it was like trending every day on Netflix and everything. Like, 
How do you feel like the the response that you got for the show from like from the fans? I mean, it's been it's been overwhelming, and uh, you know, it, it's been pretty incredible to me because you know, uh, Doug and the Savini squad themselves are sort of more on the peripheral of the show, which is really where they belong. I don't think you want to overuse those characters. Um, so the fact that you know, I've I've felt the amount of love that I have is uh, really like wonderful and kind of overwhelming. Uh, the, the 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 way the, the the entire reception of the show has been kind of, you know, better than we could have ever imagined. So I, I just, I count myself lucky. What was your favorite scene that you were in? Uh, I think that uh, it's, it's hard to pick one specific one, but basically the entirety of episode six where we go down to the caves was just, that was probably the funnest week on set I've ever had. I did another show that I mentioned earlier called Less Than Kind in Canada that yeah. is sort of like uh you know, uh, very near and dear to me. But I think that the week in the caves with the Savini squad was the funnest week on set I've ever had. It was like being, you know, in one of your favorite childhood movies growing up, like the Goonies or, you know, any of those kind of fun kid movies that you that you love. Uh, so I, I'd have to say uh, episode six. How would you describe, like, the atmosphere and the vibe on a set? Um, Really kind of uh, playful, fun, uh, creative... Uh, and, you know, just easy to work in, you know, the, the, I never felt I, I've said this before and, and, you know, I'll say it all the time. I've been on I've been fortunate enough to be involved in quite a few productions and the, I've, I've been lucky to have uh, no real bad experiences. But Lock and Key truly stands out as the, the, the least tension filled set I've ever been on. I do not remember one argument between anybody, cast, crew. Not even a moment of tension. Everyone was so excited to be there and was so passionate about the show, you know, that it was just the the happiest atmosphere. We'd have guests come in and go, we're not used to this on, like, this kind of big kind of production. Usually there's some kind of ego or there's some kind of argument. There just wasn't a trace of it. And I wasn't there, obviously, the whole time. I kind of popped up uh, every once in a while. But from everyone that I've spoken to, that never happened. So... It was just like I guess I guess excited and pleasant would be the two words that I would uh, I would use. Is there somebody from like the cast that you wish you had more scenes with? Uh, I mean, wow, there's so many of them. But I, I obviously I would love to have done some scenes at the house and maybe get to work with uh, Jackson and Darby and Connor. Uh, the only time I ever really crossed paths with them on set, obviously off set, I saw them uh, quite often, but. On set was uh, we had a, the giant funeral scene at the school. Sorry, I'm just spoiling things left, right, and center. Um, but uh, yeah, Joe Ridgeway's uh, funeral at the school we, that was a great day because all the kind of cast was there except for Jackson, unfortunately. But uh, as like a kind of a personal thing, I would say either uh, Kobe, who plays uh, Rufus. I really, really love Kobe, and uh, I'd love to do some scenes with him. And uh, I had one brief scene with Halea Jones as Eden, but uh, her and I have a really fun uh, chemistry, and we really. Uh, we hang out all the time, so I'd love to work with her a little more as well. Yeah. So the exciting news is that it has been picked up for season two. When are you guys going to start filming? You have no idea right now with everything going on. Yeah, uh, we. Uh, I think when when I went down for the uh, premiere in February, Halia uh, and I were lucky enough to get invited to the writers' room. So we went in and got to meet everyone and talk to them and have lunch with them, which was super cool. Uh, and I think that the plan at that time would have been to be shooting around now. I could be wrong. That's what I think I remember. So please don't get mad at me, Meredith and Carlton. I'm not exactly sure if that's true. Um, but yeah, I guess we've been kind of postponed indefinitely. Uh, but, uh, you know, there are rumors maybe about the fall or, you know, uh, 
that that would be kind of the area I think they're looking at. But I, I, I mean, I, I honestly have no idea. I think we always we want to wait until it's uh, super safe. And, you know, as I said, you know, if, if the worst thing that we have to go through as, a, you know, as a cast and stuff is having to wait an extra couple months to shoot to when it's safe, we can deal with that. That's not a that's, that's not right. a big deal. That's right. Yeah. So, you know, you, you've been acting for a while now. Like when you uh, go for auditioning, what do you enjoy more? Do you enjoy like the self tape or do you like doing it in front of people? Oh, that's a, that's a great question. It's super tricky. Um, they kind of have, they, they both have their benefits and they both have their kind of, you know, downfalls. I think the great thing about a self tape I'll start with is that you really can, uh, do it on your terms. You can be as creative as you want. You can change what you want to change. You can fiddle with the dialogue. You can add stuff. You can, uh, you know, it, it just really is the ball's more in your court. Uh, the, the tricky thing about a self tape is there's no, there's not a guarantee that anyone's ever going to see it. Yeah. Uh, you know, and you hear all these horror stories about people who do self tapes that they, you know, spend so much time on and, you know, you hear a couple months later, it's like, oh yeah, casting never even got a chance to see it. And that's not even sometimes the casting agent's fault. You know, you get a huge volume of tapes and you see the person you like, you know, sometimes people just want to make a decision. So, uh, the great thing about going in the room is there's that personal connection with the casting agent or even just the reader or whoever's in the room with you. Sometimes there's a director and producer there and you can kind of get a better sense of, you know, if you were on the right track or not. So gun to my head, I'll, I'll go in the room every time. But I, there is something kind of fun about the creativity you get to indulge yourself in with the with the self-tape. Hmm. When you go and audition in front of people, like, what's, like, your routine before that? Is there anything that you do? Like, you know, like, like I said, some people, like, go off a run or they go for a walk or they sleep in their car. Like, what do you do? Yeah, I, I, I don't think that I'm uh, – I don't necessarily have, like, a ritual or a pattern, but – you know, I try to get there as early as I can, and uh, you sit around, and a lot of times you see friends in the waiting room. A lot of people don't like to be approached, and the way I usually play that is I have no problem talking to people. I try to be already pretty prepared when I get there that I can just kind of slip into it. Yeah. Um, so so I'm, I'm, I'm open to talking to people in the waiting room and, and all that stuff. But, yeah, in, in terms of me, it's just, it's just being prepared. It's just uh, making a couple good choices or cho- not even – you don't know if they're good – choices that you think are good. And uh, and making sure you know the text and don't be afraid to take risks as long as they're calculated. Like, don't do something stupid just to do something stupid. Like, I had a friend once who's like, oh, I dropped my pants in the audition. I was like, well, why? He goes, ah, I got their attention. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> but if, if it doesn't if it doesn't magnify or, like, really emphasize something good in the scene, then you're just dropping your pants to drop your pants. Yeah. You know, so uh, I would say, yeah, just take a, take a couple of calculated risks. And make some uh, make some bold choices, and uh, you know, try to honor what they're trying to get out of you as much as possible. Mm, that's a good one. Yeah. So, obviously, this is going to be this is like your uh, your thing, you know, the acting and entertainment industry. What do you have like a dream role you want to play someday? Yeah, that's uh, that's that's a tough one. I mean, um, well, obviously, being on a show like Lock and Key is pretty close to what my dream is it's just as i said it's the kind of show that i would binge that i'd be a huge fan of that i would go on the the forums and talk about very much in that you know lost stranger things harry potter-esque world but i also really like doing uh really kind of character driven stuff and i've actually been uh, developing this series with uh with a really good friend of mine that's that's based on me it's not you know really semi-biographical or anything but it's about, you know, kind of someone who's very overweight that's trying to be an actor and how their weight kind of 
uh, affects every aspect of their life, from their dating life, from their personal life, getting a part-time job, and being a performer. I just really kind of like shows that delve into the uh, the underbelly of those issues. So uh, what's great is that I kind of get to do the best of both worlds. I get the show that I'm obsessed with, which is Lock and Key, and I also get to kind of try writing and pitching this show that is a little more personal to me in terms of like struggles and stuff. And I like to kind of, you know, scratch both those itches a little bit. Is it, is that, would that be more like a, like a comedy type of thing or like a dramedy? What do you see? Yeah, I think, I think it would live in that kind of, um, you know, master of none, uh, kind of world, which is, I think it's mostly comedy, but you know, not afraid to go pretty dark as well. The way that I, you know, have, have kind of pitched it is, when you look at someone like a Chris Farley or a John Candy, they're hilarious. And you get to see, you know, especially Chris Farley do that kind of slapsticky comedy where, you know, he falls and splits his pants and it's a hilarious scene and everyone laughs. Yeah. But then what does that look like when he goes home, right? What does that look like when he closes his bedroom door at the end of the day and he's got to sit with that? So what I wanted for the show is that, that I'm writing is to get both of that, to get the funny stuff that, you know, draws people in. And then you get the kind of the gut punch after we are like, oh, wow, like this guy was really kind of affected in a maybe a negative, maybe a positive way about that. So I think it would be predominantly a comedy, but there'd be some really uh, cool dramatic stuff in there as well. Yeah. What's your goal with that to like get it like in a streaming platform or just like put it on a kind of YouTube channel? Um, I think, yeah, I think we'd want to get it on some kind of a streaming platform. I mean, I, we have no, obviously if uh, any major networks wanted to pick it up as well, we'd be happy, but we do see it as a bit darker in terms of like, uh, you know, rating and stuff. Like, I'm not sure how well we'd fit on, like, a family channel. Like, I think we want to go a little darker than that. But honestly, anybody who wants to pick it up, we're we're thrilled to pitch it and indulge in. I think we'd rather be on, as I said, a streaming or a television platform. But the net is something that's really kind of coming alive right now. So there's definitely room in there to to see what's going on with that. So, uh, Jesse, uh, lastly, uh, how can the listeners find you on uh, social media? Uh, so I've got uh, I've got Twitter, which is uh, I'm under at Jesse one one five one one five, which is my homeroom in high school. So that shows you how long it's been since I've changed that. <laughs> uh, I do tweet occasionally. I'm a big Survivor fan, so you'll get a lot of hot takes on the show Survivor, which is uh, pretty random. And uh, on Instagram, I'm uh, Jesse J D Camacho because my full name uh, is Jesse John David Camacho. And I've got some fun behind-the-scenes stuff on there and then the occasional embarrassing pick. So I'm sure people can come on and get a good laugh out of that. All right, Jesse. Th- thanks for coming on, man. This was fun. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, man. Let's do it again sometime. Oh, yeah, definitely. That's a wrap. That's a wrap, everybody. That's a wrap. Thanks for listening to the Man Cave Chronicles podcast. I finally get my man cave. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at the MCC Podcast. And our website, themccpodcast.com. Until next time. Until next time.